Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Academy Award-nominated filmmaker Katja Essen's Raising Liberty Square is a character-driven verite documentary that weaves personal stories in and out of a larger social justice narrative on climate gentrification. The stories originate at the intersection of race, climate, and socioeconomic gentrification and examine the assumptions regarding who matters and who doesn't. As rising seas threaten Miami's luxurious beachfront, wealthy property owners are pushing inland to higher ground. The historically black neighborhood of Liberty City, which has been ignored by developers and policymakers alike, for generations is 12 feet above sea level and has become more attractive to the wealthy with each rising tide. We're joined today by the director of Raising Liberty Square, Katja Esson. Katja, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is a salient and very timely documentary film. What were the circumstances that brought you to Liberty City to tell this story? I live very close to Liberty Square and um, in Miami. And uh, I was uh, told around you know the end of 2016 that actually the location where the movie uh, Moonlight was filmed, um, that this very historic public housing development uh, was scheduled to be raised to the ground and was supposed to be or is supposed to be uh, replaced by a mixed income community. And my first instinct was a historical interest. You know, I was as a, as a German born, as a European, I couldn't believe that that Miami would just kind of just bulldoze all these buildings and all this history to the ground. So I picked up my camera and I I wanted to preserve something and something that I didn't know much about that I knew, you know, the larger Miami didn't know much about. So I, I went and with a with a historical interest and while i then started connecting with residents and the community i was educated about the fact what you just mentioned we are actually on the one of the highest and driest grounds of miami this this community sits on a ridge inland on a ridge where they were pushed in the 30s and then i learned this new term climate gentrification that was actually coined in miami and that's when i realized wow, this is a very different film than I thought it would be. It still has a lot of history because the history is extremely uh, important to understand the issues today. It becomes a a critical case study uh, of housing and climate crisis colliding. That's what's happening in Miami. Before we get too far into the conversation, I think it's important to point out just what you, you touched on, which is this is a part of Miami that has up till recently been a ghetto. I mean, it's been essentially a, a racialized part, segregated part of Miami. Let's talk about that as, in terms of its importance and how it, with the bearing it has on, on this story. This is a, a community that has been uh, underserved and abandoned, really, for decades. And that's why it's now so um, terribly ironic that now the city and the developers want it. If we go back to the 30s, the black community was pushed very far inland outside city limits, you know, so there, there was no political 
uh, representation for decades. And despite all this, Liberty City grew around this public housing project and became an incredibly vibrant, historically important place where uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave the first version of his I Have a Dream speech at the Hampton House, you know, where Cassius Clay became Muhammad Ali, um, Nat King Cole, all these stars went to the white only Miami Beach hotels and performed there, you know, in front of sold out audiences, but then couldn't stay there. They were not allowed. Black people were not allowed uh, on Miami Beach. So they returned to uh, Liberty City. And that's why it's such an irony that Black people were not allowed on, on the coast and they were pushed inland on this land that had no value. And now climate change has flipped the status quo and this land is now real estate gold. So 12 feet above sea level, yeah. Yeah. which is which is huge right now in Miami, right? Right. I mean, it's really nothing. People yeah. think it's not a, it's not even you can't tell, you know, it's not a hill or anything. Well, well it's, it's, just, it's just a frame of reference. Imagine a basketball backboard. That's how high it is off off of this off, off sea level. Right. Doesn't right. seem like a lot. Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Like a lot. But if you see, you know, Miami Beach is at zero. That's what we're talking about. And yeah, the, the city is uh, and county is putting enormous uh, resources in, like we, we talked before, in, in infrastructure, in trying to save Miami Beach, you know, raising the roads and putting in huge pump systems. But there's nothing to be done to help communities that are now being displaced, you know, like Liberty City or Little Haiti or the, all these communities. There's, it's like the, the developers have their eyes on all these communities that are sitting high you know, that's sitting on this ridge and they're all black and brown communities. With that looming and and the developer money and the political muscle that comes along with that is where we, be, the heart of the story becomes what we see in Raising Liberty Square, which is proposals to do the right thing. And if in air quotes for people who, who won't see our conversation, Let's talk about just and some of the people were were introduced to some very interesting people uh, in terms of the I'm thinking of Aaron McKinney as a as as the embodiment of someone who wants to do the right thing in relation to what this development is going to be. Let's talk about him in that regard. Yeah. And this was very important uh, for me and for us that were that we were doing the film that this is not your classical uh, in a way, David and Goliath's story simplified, you know, bad developer, uh, victimized community. It's much more nuanced because the problem is much more nuanced. And yeah, we have Aaron. And just like Aaron, I started the journey with the film also really believing that this project could be, this de development idea of the, could be different because the big promise was nobody is being moved out. Nobody is being displaced. We're going to do this different. There are nine city blocks and we're going to do a block by block uh, development. So we're going to demolish and build up and move people into the new. And so we keep everybody there. There are enough empty units so that we can move people around. That was the idea. And that was the key to really, really doing it differently. And Aaron believed, I believed. And then uh, I think just like Aaron, and, and I think that is also happening to the audience, you just watch how promises are being broken, you know, in the film. And one of our uh, other main protagonist Valencia Gander 
said the other day at a panel, she said, the film is catching the lie. I really loved how she, how she said that. And that's what happened, you know. But there was a lot of hope. There was a lot of hope for in the community at the beginning that this could be different. Over how many years does this story take place? Well, we filmed six years. We filmed six years. And this is one thing that is very exciting for us now. Basically, you know, the film is done, but this is just the beginning because the development is not even close to be finished. Of the nine blocks, only three are done. So the film in its impact campaign has the chance to actually affect the story that it's telling. That's that's what's really exciting right now. I mean, once a lie is exposed for people to continue to live the lie, to tell the lie, it becomes increasingly more difficult when you have that many eyes on it. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, that's what we're, you know, we, yeah. we're working. There are a lot of, uh, yeah, organiz- I also don't want us to give too much away, but there are a lot of uh, local organizations in Miami that we're working with right now to see how we can uh, really impact, you know, what's going on with the film. I want to pick up that thread later because I want to get more into the, I want people to hear kind of the broad outlines of the, of this wonderful uh, film. And by the way, we're, we're speaking with Katya Esson, the director of uh, Raising Liberty Square. And so we've introduced kind of the history, the racial history here. We've introduced climate gentrification, climate, climate is change is happening and Miami is ground zero. I want to talk about the people that we get to meet as well. We we mentioned Aaron and Valencia, but the people in the community who have lived there, just a sense of community and how important that is, especially for a community that's been under such duress for such a long period of time, that to feel the connection that they do and you see in the film uh, is not just about where they live, it's how they live, it's how they how they see life. Getting to know these people that you we see in the film, how would you describe it? How would you put it into words? For me, it was really, I have to say, a uh, also life life changing experience. You know, to to slowly connect with the community, and I, it's always hard. You know, I'm a white filmmaker, and it's always so 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 tough to, or difficult to say i became part of the community but every time i keep now i'm on a panel and i'm talking and any of the our protagonists and participants are there and i keep saying yes I, as i'm as an outsider one of them says you're not an outsider you know you became part of the family and what i saw is a community that has these incredible invisible institutions in the film, we we show the the candy lady in quotations. There are many many other moments that that we filmed that we captured that show the incredible tightness of this community. Of Anna, one of our elders, Anna Williams, that also has a pretty big role in the film. Every Wednesday, they have a little bus from their school, and like the Piper, how, how do you call that? The, the pastor would drive the bus and they would go beep, beep. And then one Wednesday, it would be all the girls that would come in the bus and she would take them to Bible class. And the next Wednesday is all the boys. And it, yes, it's Bible class, but mainly it was feeding dinner and giving out school supplies. So just watching that also and, and uh, how the this community that has been really abandoned and underserved for so long, how they... Everybody helps themselves, you know, Sam Kenley talks about how everybody was watching the other people's children. 
but it was incredibly clear to me that it's such a danger to lose all that you know and how difficult that would be to to create that anywhere else you know if everybody is scattered that was really amazing and humbling to see how this was created this network of support was created in the community over all those years you're depending more, you're counting more on your neighbors, you have to depend more on your neighbors. And of course, also, you know, the, the way that the architecture, you know, was, you know, built in the 1930s, every unit had a big porch, you know, yeah. we're talking about Florida here. So there was port, there were porches, there were laundry lines where people met when they hung up the laundries. It was like Anna, the elders talk about that. That was a thing, you know, every Saturday, everybody, people would do laundry and would talk and all that is gone now in the new in the new development. People are inside. Yeah. People are not interacting with their neighbors anymore. People cannot watch their children, you know, from their porches anymore. There are no more porches, you know. There no there's no space for barbecue grills, no space for chairs. And there's a scene in the film that is questioning that for whom was this really built? You know, for what kind of community? Well, the one woman that it, as she's she's not happy about moving into this apartment, Miss mm -hmm. Gain, she embodies what I'm talking about. She, while on one hand, her neighbor tells her, you're going to love it. Everything's here. You got a washer dryer. You got everything you need. You can see in her face that, yeah, that's good, but it's not, it's not what her life was before. And now she's inside. She hardly sees anybody. I mean, it's like I'm in touch with all of them, you know, and yeah. she was also, I mean, that, that plays a role, you know, that you mentioned the washer dryer that, that she was worried about her electricity bill. You know, again, we're in Florida, <laughs> so the laundry yeah. was always dried outside. Now they have a now have a dryer in each unit. Well, one of the things about raising Liberty Square that is, I think, its strength uh, among many others, it is when you take a step back after watching it, you have given us a lot of information about a lot of things, but it doesn't feel like that was how you went about it. You showed us people living their lives. You you gave us information about the racial history and some of the, the things that matter in telling the story, but there's so much ether information in your film. It's in the ether of the way that these people live their lives, how they interact with one another, that is the power of this film. Glad you're saying that because we're talking about very, uh, you know, complicated issues. So we did interview many experts then though quickly decided that the people that are living through this are the, are the best experts to tell their story. That was the big challenge in the editing and the editing took a long time to really to, to do what you say, you know, to get the information across, but have it be told not by experts, but by the people in moments, in scenes, you know, so you're getting the information, but you're just following a story. And uh, that was a big, that was a big challenge. And at the beginning, I always knew I wanted to combine the housing crisis with the climate crisis. But at the at the very at the beginning, when we started, many of my funders, our funders said, "Okay, no, you have to decide. It's either one. You cannot do both." So that was very that was uh, uh, tough. But we 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 did it. Oh, you did. You definitely did it. Well, I think I know more or less the answer to this question before I ask it. But the reaction among the people in Liberty Square or who live there or whatever version of that, who've seen the film and how you mentioned earlier, the lasting impact that you've over the issues you've raised in this film. Talk about that reaction. Talk, talk about, yeah, how it feels as we sit here today. I shared the, the rough cuts um, and different 
versions as we got closer to fine cut with different parts of the communities where we did screenings for the elders and of course for our main protagonists and for for other community members to check in and see are we are we on the right track people always were extremely excited because as you also can see in the film history has been repeating itself and the film talks about that and people have been in general feeling that now there's finally like a real document that that shows the the arc of structural racism happening in Miami and people have like Valencia Gander our climate justice activist she's using the film and she's planning to use the film and everybody kind of feels it's there and it is it's their film you know so now we are all pushing together you know the all the protagonists are part of it of this of of our impact campaign um strategy meetings and like deciding how will be the launch in Miami because we haven't still launched in Miami because of the power of the developer and our we had to we had to release my uh, the film a little bit different because at one point, the trailer was leaked to the developers shortly before picture lock. They didn't take to it <laughs> too well. And they went after some of the protagonists and started pressuring them, you know. And I was really worried for a while because I'm worried for their safety and for their livelihood. But it, the opposite happened. I, I already thought for a moment, oh, my God, I'm going to I'm not going to have a film if people drop out. If people tell me, look, I cannot be in this film because I'm I'm just scared what will happen. But the opposite happened. You know, they said no. We this film has to go out. People have to know what's going on now, especially. That what was amazing to see the, the bravery, the courage of everybody in front of the camera. Katya, thank you. I I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate this film, Racing Liberty Square. Be looking for it, and you can find out more about the film by going to raising r a z i n g liberty square dot org. That will take you to the place where you can find out about the film about the filmmakers, about the screenings and the rest of it. There's so much here to be celebrated and uh, a community, a resilient community who has survived a lot. That is the place where Moonlight. So uh, Racing Liberty Square, we've been talking with the director of this wonderful film, Katya Esson. Katya, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 